How are you doing? Welcome to Wednesday's Richie Allen radio programme, or show. It's very, very warm again, right across the UK. The last of the summer sun, apparently, today. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been nice, even though I've not experienced too much of it. Welcome to the Richie Allen Show. Did I say that already? I've got two very good guests. To join in the chat, please go to richieallen.co.uk. That is my website. At the top of it, it says comment live. You can chat there. I'll be reading your comments as we go along. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on RichieAllen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, Julia Hoff is a social care worker. Julia phoned the program back in July and she was very, very interesting, very articulate lady. Julia has been in touch with me to say that the situation in care homes is absolutely dire. Thousands of carers are walking away from the from the job because of vaccine mandates, because of managers in care homes and social care companies, social care homes cannot get staff for love nor money. What does that mean for people who need care? We'll talk to Julia about that and much more. And Julia will tell us that some care home providers or care providers are going to extraordinary lengths to try and attract staff into the occupation. Julia Hoff this hour. Later on, the filmmaker and journalist Richard Willett will be with me. He's been on before. Uh, he's been very kind in hosting me on his iconic show. Great guy is Richard. He's also very much involved with the iconic platform. Always got an interesting take on everything. Richard Willett joins the programme a little bit later on. As I said, if you've got anything to contribute, the best way to do that is through my website, richieallen.co.uk. Yeah, the last of the summer sun. Ah, to Scorchio Tremendo in Salford. Paddling pools are everywhere. I love that. Do you? Do you love that? I love when you're out and about. Now, I was only out and about briefly today. <coughs> Excuse me, frog in the throat. I was only out and about briefly uh, today. And, um, yeah, dropping off some laundry to my laundrette. That's what I was doing. Because we don't have a functional washer-dryer at the moment. Well, for a long time, actually. And it seemed that every third house, there were kids jumping into a paddling pool. Yes, enjoy it while it lasts. Hey, the Evening Standard newspaper has landed Gavin Williamson in the soup. He's the education secretary. And he told the Evening Standard newspaper that he had a proper chinwag, a good old chat on Zoom with the England and Manchester United footballer Marcus Rashford. But in fact, he hadn't been speaking to Marcus Rashford. He'd been speaking to Maro Itoje, a rugby player. And he's getting dog's abuse. <laughs> Depending on who you believe. He's sick. He's a racist. He thinks they all look the same. He's getting absolutely hammered. Labour MP Zara Sultana responded by calling him a joke. But to be fair to Marcus Rashford, he's taken the high ground. Has the Man United striker. He says uh, that he could have noticed the difference in accent. Manchester, uh, Manchester. Marcus has got a, a very broad Mancunian accent. And Maro Itoja, I think Maro comes from Dan Staff. I could be wrong though. 
no harm, no foul. Williamson said, I got the issues and the ambassadors mixed up because Maro Itoje is also involved in a scheme to help poorer pupils to get access to computers. You see, he's involved in education lobbying too. Marcus, of course, is uh, lobbying and has been lobbying for some time for free school meals for children who need them. Yes. Oh, they love a Twitter storm, don't they? They love a Twitter storm. I do remember Samuel L. Jackson was once confused with Lawrence Fishburne and he took it quite well. Take the moral high ground. Don't always play the race card. Williamson is just a buffoon. <laughs> it's as simple as that, right? He couldn't care less about Maro Itoje or Marcus Rashford or anybody else for that matter. Now, this is all over the place today. Ministers, apparently, have agreed to bow to pressure from Australia to drop a binding commitment to the Paris Climate Change Agreement from the UK-Australian trade deal. How do we know this? Well, a government email has been leaked to Sky News. Put simply, right, the UK and the, and the Aussies are going to sign a trade deal. And the UK was going to, as part of that deal, insist that the Australians, you know, commit to the Paris Climate Change Agreement and lower the temperature and all of that. But the UK is not going to do that. Well, the climate evangelicals, they're up in arms. They're proper, proper, proper cheesed off. And it's been all over the news today. Sky News said, look, the treaty text will contain a reference to Paris, but to the specific temperature commitments, all of that disappearing. Disappearing. So the climate evangelicals are absolutely cheesed off today. How dare you? That's better than that. How dare you? How dare you? Yes, they're crying into their lentil soup. (laughs) Couldn't think of anything appropriate. Lentil soup. Yes, so trade agreement, and it was believed by the environmentalists that the UK would insist that the Aussies will do their bit for the environment, but they're, they're not going to. The UK is not going to do that. I'll tell you who's spitting feathers. A guy called John Sauvin. Now, John Sauvin is the chief executive of Greenpeace UK. What will it mean, John? Sky News asked him. What will it mean, the UK not getting climate commitments from the Aussies in the trade deal? What does it mean, Mr Greenpeace guy? In reality, it means more fires, more floods, (laughs) more drought, more climate impacts affecting billions of people around the world. Absolutely extraordinary statement that the government should ever agree to such a, a, a thing in a trade agreement with Australia. Right, so what will it mean, the UK not getting the Aussies when they do their trade deal to go along with Paris? What will it mean? And he said... In reality, it means more fires, more floods, <laughs> more drought, more climate oh, impact. Oh, God. Derek, what do you say to that? Oh, shut up, you tart. What was that? Oh, shut up, you tart. Shut up, you tart. What a muppet. Hilarious stuff, eh? What does it mean? Well, more fires, more storms, more land being submerged by the sea, more polar bears swimming for their lives. That's the Greenpeace chief executive. Bit of a madman. Dipstick. Hey, listen, watch Ian Plymer's speech to, to, um, to, what was it again? I can never remember. It wasn't so much a a speech to to uh, to Parliament. Ian Plymer was in the UK in two thousand and eleven, and he gave a speech. What was he doing? What? Why did he give that speech? He was given a speech 
uh, to a government, yeah, a public, a government public meeting on climate change. That's right. That's right. Organised by the government. That's right. So Ian Plymer is an Australian geologist, professor of earth sciences, Melbourne Uni. He's not backed, sponsored. He's not held up. He is not owned by oil and gas. He's an honest guy. He gave a speech about 10 years ago, completely debunking the notion of man-made climate change. It's on my website. It's helpful. RichieAllen.co.uk. It's all garbage. It's eight and a half minutes past five. And and I suppose it's a healthy thing, but some who do listen to this programme completely disagree with me. And that's fine. I'll read out your comments if you do. Poisoning the planet, killing off ecosystems. Yes, that's all true. Man is filthy and careless, but that's not the same as industrial activity producing CO2 that goes on to warm the planet to the point where we get all these storms and it's just nonsense. It's not borne out by the facts. I can tell you that. I can tell you that. Spanish Bishop Xavier Novel. Have you heard about this guy? He's a Spanish bishop, yeah. From the Catalan region. That's where he was a bishop. Now, he resigned from the Roman Catholic Church last month. I didn't know this. It wasn't newsworthy. Apparently, he resigned over personal reasons. Generally, when it's personal reasons, it's one of two things. He's either had a bit of a fling with a woman and he's no longer celibate, or he's done something even naughtier than that. You're talking children. But no, no, uh, this guy resigned for personal reasons. It has emerged, it has emerged today that the real reason he resigned is because he fell in love with a woman who writes satanic erotic fiction. What kind of fuckery is this? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. You can understand him meeting a senorita in Barcelona. But uh, he's fallen for a woman who writes erotic fiction with a satanic element to it. That's what she does. Yeah, good man. Uh, He became Spain's youngest bishop in 2010. He was 41. And uh, he's been residing and, I suppose, overseeing in, in Solsona, which is in the north the northeastern region of Catalonia. Uh, this guy backed conversion therapy for gay people and carried out exorcisms, apparently. But uh, he's fallen in love with a woman who writes erotic satanic fiction. There you go. Uh, American late-night TV host Jimmy Kimmel, you may very well have heard of him. He's been away all summer on holiday. He came back to work last night. Last night, not Monday, because Monday was Labour Day in the US. He came back last night and in his opening monologue, he, uh, well, he said that he's not very happy with the old anti-vaxxers. Here's Jimmy Kimmel. I hope you had a relaxing Labour Day. It was not a fun Labour Day weekend, COVID-wise. The number of new cases is up more than 300% from a year ago. Dr. Fauci said that if hospitals get any more overcrowded, they're going to have to make some very tough choices about who gets an ICU bed. I don't, that choice doesn't seem so tough to me. Vaccinated person having a heart attack? Yes, come right on in, we'll take care of you. Unvaccinated guy who gobbled horse goo? Rest in peace, Wheezy. Ew! Gobbled horse goo. He's talking about ivermectin. So if you've got unvaccinated patients and vaccinated patients, help the vaccinated in ICU, intensive care unit. Ignore the unvaccinated, said Jimmy. He doesn't like ivermectin either. He's an expert on this. I mean, we've still got a lot of 
pandemics out there. People are still taking this ivermectin. This poison, you know, the poison control centers have seen as this spike in calls from people taking this livestock medicine to fight the... No, he knows it isn't livestock medicine. It might be used in treating livestock, but it's an anti-parasitic medication and it's well known to be effective in dealing with, um, with viral illness. Very well known for it. Doctors have been using it for a long time. He should know this. Fight the coronavirus, but they won't take the vaccine, which is crazy. It's like if you're a vegan and you're just like, no, I don't want a hamburger. Give me that can of Alpo instead. <laughs> One of the reasons these sea biscuits are opting for ivermectin is because they don't trust big pharma, which is fine, I guess, except for the fact that ivermectin is made by Merck, which is the fourth largest pharmaceutical company in the world. Ah, so his logic is that these guys who are pushing for ivermectin, these anti-big pharma guys, first of all are stupid because they don't realise that ivermectin is manufactured by Merck. Fourthly, they're, they're stupid. And he goes on to say, well, you know, if Merck is not pushing it, you should realise that it isn't effective at all. Because if Merck are not pushing it, this guy misses a lot of points. And even Merck is telling people to cut it out. They released a statement saying, Ivermectin has no scientific basis for potential therapeutic effect against COVID. There's no meaningful evidence for clinical activity or clinical efficacy in patients with COVID-19 disease. And there's a concerning lack of safety data in the majority of studies. Listen, if a pharmaceutical company says, please don't take the drug we're selling, you should probably listen to them. Or ah, maybe it's because the ivermectin drug, maybe it's because it's incredibly cheap now, maybe. And there isn't so much money to be made by selling it. It's been around a long, long, long time. Generic versions of it. It can be sold very, very, very cheaply, I believe, for only a couple of cents, a couple of pence per tablet. Maybe, I don't know, maybe. Maybe the vaccines and... And other treatments to come are going to be much more lucrative for Mark, but Jimmy Kimmel doesn't have a brain in his head. And if he had an idea, it would die of loneliness. Yes, Jimmy Kimmel. They're desperate for people to take these jabs, aren't they? It's 14 minutes past five. Don't forget, Richard Willett, director, filmmaker and journalist, will be with me later on. Before that, Julia Hoff, social care worker. You do not want to miss either of the guests. Don't miss Julia. She'll be with me in about 10 minutes' time. 15 minutes time. Jimmy Kimmel there. Poor man's Jimmy Carson. Jimmy Carson? Poor man's Johnny Carson. <laughs> yeah, screwed that one up. Poor man's Craig Ferguson, you might say. I, I, I used to love these late night talk shows. I was a big fan of Jay Leno back in the 90s when I first discovered them, when they became available on UK and Irish television. People like David Letterman, up to a point, I liked them. I, I, I do tend these days when I get some time to look at old Johnny Carson interviews. And what's the name of the guy? Dick Cavett. Yes, Dick Cavett. And his interviews with Marlon Brando. And of course, John Lennon and, and Yoko and many others. Good interviewer, Dick Cavett, back in the day. So Kay Burley then, the Lilo Lil of TV news presenting. Look up Lilo Lil later and have a giggle. She had Sajid Javid on her programme today. Yes, he's the health secretary, is Sajid Javid. And of course, jabbing the kiddies and whether that will be recommended or not. Of course, that question came up. You will hear the ginger ninja first. How would you feel about 12 to 15 year olds uh, of yours having jabs? I don't think it's appropriate for me to pass a judgment because I'm waiting for an independent view. 
Do you think that 12 to 15 year olds should be able to overrule their parents on whether or not they should have jabs? I think we should follow the same rules that we've had in this country under successive governments for, for decades, which is that uh, it, you first would try to seek the consent uh, of parents. So parents, we're, we're going to ask all parents for consent. And uh, in most cases, but what if they don't give it is my question. If they don't give uh, consent... And children still want their vaccination. Exactly. So if there's a difference so of opinion between mm -hmm. the child uh, and the parent, mm -hmm. uh, then we have uh, specialists that, let's say, that work in this area, the school's vaccination service. They would usually literally sit down with the parent and the child and try to reach some kind of consensus. If ultimately that doesn't work, mm -hmm. as long as we believe that the child is competent enough to make this decision, then the child's will will prevail. How do you feel about an October firebreak if necessary? No, Kay. No, you wretched wench, you ginger goon. Your follow-up question is, excuse me, are you having a laugh? You will allow a 12-year-old overrule her mum and dad? Did you lose your brains when you lost your hair, health secretary? Did you? That's the follow-up? Firebreak? It's absolutely extraordinary, isn't it, that you would just jump to firebreak? Good God, the, you know, day one, a trainee presenter would have said, hang on a second, pal, hang on a second. What did you say? Not okay, though. Literally sit down with the parent and the child and try to reach some kind of consensus. If ultimately that doesn't work, mm -hmm. uh, as long as uh, we believe that the child is competent enough to make this decision, then the child's will will prevail. How do you feel about an October firebreak? Oh, Jesus. Would you oh, good it? God. Anyway, Javid lied about firebreak lockdowns and didn't rule them in or out. He's a liar, of course. We know that because his lips are moving. It got worse, though. A couple of minutes later, the gormless, ginger, gelatinous Muppet said this to Javid. You will hear Javid first. He goes on about the firebreak. Listen to what Burley says. It's hard to believe. The policies that we followed uh, so far, they're based on the, the best uh, information, the best evidence that we can get. We listen to our experts, uh, uh, of course, as anyone would expect. And so when we made the recent decision to start opening up the country, to move the social uh, distancing restrictions, uh, for example, and other rules, that I think that's turned out to be exactly the right decision. And it's not risk-free. When you make these decisions, none of them are risk-free. No one knows exactly what's going Nobody to Nobody wants to be in happen. your shoes. That's yeah. obviously the... I mean, you're doing an incredible job, given the challenges that you're facing. But nevertheless... Thank you very much. People, well, it's true. It's true. Praise I mean, from Kay Burley. Well, <laughs> well, <that's great>. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you better yeah. bottle it, because I don't think... I'm not sure how often it's going to come along. Yeah, it's, it's again. Again, you know. Do, do I have to tell you? You know, would, would you need to be told what's going on there, you know? Would you need to be told what's going on That's there? turned out to be exactly the right decision. And it's not risk-free. When you make these decisions, none of them are risk-free. No one knows exactly what's going on. Nobody to wants to be happen. in your shoes. That's yeah. obviously the... I mean, you're doing an incredible job, given the challenges that you're facing. But nevertheless... Thank you very much. People, well, it's true. It's true. I mean, I'm it's true. That's a firing offence. In my commercial media days, if I endorsed a government minister, told him or her that he or she was doing a fantastic job and then went on to say it's true, it's true, I would have been fired. Please believe me. I know I do exaggerate at times for a giggle, but that's, that's a firing offence. Your, your feet wouldn't hit the ground. She's endorsed him. And when you think of what's gone on during this scamdemic, you've had Piers Morgan on Good Morning Britain screaming at government ministers to lock down harder and to coerce people into taking a potentially lethal experimental drug. That's on the one hand. ITV screaming at ministers, more lockdowns, more misery for people, and coerce them into having a jab. And on Sky, they, they get told they're great. 
No room for any questions like, why lock people down? It's destroyed their mental health, their careers. It's ruined their children's futures. It's killed people locked down. The jabs are unnecessary. They're killing people. No room for that. No, no. The media says it's either not enough tyranny or it's all good. Carry on. You're doing a great job in spite of everything. Cave early. I think for 2021, that's the blue ribbon winner for me. As bad as Burley is, I never thought I'd hear Burley, a, a woman from Wigan, from a trade unionist background, telling a guy like Sajid Javid, you're doing a fantastic job, it's true, it's true, it's true. Uh, the former MEP Belinda DeLucy, who's been on this programme recently, told Talk Radio today that she is being pressured into agreeing to have her kid poked with the poison. She's coming under pressure from her child's school to have her child jabbed. Here she is. I've been I, getting I get letters. It, get I've got a letter from school for my 16-year-old saying we urge parents for, to get their children vaccinated because they don't want to miss out on education. So people aren't getting vaccinated anymore for health reasons. No. It's now educational right. reasons or, or political yeah. reasons. This has never happened yeah. before. No. Yeah. This is a real breach of trust. I give my children every vaccine under the sun. If there is proof, yeah. it is in their best health yeah. interest. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I've seen no proof. And yet I'm supposed to be a bad granny-killing, you know, whatever mum mm. for, for not letting their children have access. And also this other, myth, this other myth. Yeah, yeah. Mike Graham is the guy hosting the show. He comes in there. His opinions are absolutely irrelevant. Yeah, so her school is contacting her. I'm sure it's happening to a lot of people with 16-year-old children in schools. Why don't you give them the jab? Why don't you give them the jab? Why don't you give them the jab, you know? Anywho, this is very important. Listen to this. The vaccine minister in this country is a man called Nadim Zahawi. This afternoon, lunchtime in fact, he answered a, an urgent question from the Liberal Democrat Alistair Carmichael. Alistair Carmichael, if you please. So he had an urgent question on vaccine passports. The Liberal Democrats are allegedly liberal and they're not happy with the idea that we will be expected to carry vaccine passports. So after he asked the question, Nadim Zahawi answered it, said it's necessary and on they went for a while. But then Stuart Hosey stood up. Now, Stuart Hosey is a member of the Scottish National Party. He wanted a commitment that the vaccine passports would not be required for shops and for other places where your attendance is unavoidable. Listen to the question from Stuart Hosey and then listen to the answer from the vaccine minister. But the pandemic isn't over. Lives are still at risk and the pressures on the NHS are very real. So we in Scotland are introducing a vaccine passport, but broadly it will be limited to nightclubs, outdoor standing events with more than 4,000 people, and any event with more than 10,000 people. While the rules in England may be slightly different, I hope it is as proportionate as that. But can I ask the Minister... This is the question. And can I go back to the issue about essential services? It's not enough simply to say you won't need a vaccine passport to, to get an essential service. It's got to be any setting where your attendance is unavoidable. Shops, public transport, medical services, education. We need the confirmation that no setting where your attendance is unavoidable, you will require to have a vaccine passport. Well... So you'd expect the answer to be yes, of course, we're, we're not going to roll out vaccine passports for people going to the shops, you know, the supermarket or, or the doctors or, or whatever. Listen to what he says. I'm grateful for uh, uh, 
I hate this I'm grateful bullshit. I hate this pleasantry, you know, this this politeness crap. Just answer the question. The Honourable Member's uh, excellent um, citation of the uh, vaccine uh, success in Scotland. Energy Scotland's done a tremendous job. Yeah, so will you be eventually moving on from nightclubs and music venues into expecting people to show the vaccine certification for everyday life. As has the NHS in Wales and yeah. Northern Ireland and, of course, in England. Uh, and I think he raises a really important point yeah. around essential services and, of course, uh, in the process of uh, parliamentary engagement and scrutiny, we'll be able to share uh, the detail of that wow. uh, in due course. In due course, we'll share the detail of that. The opportunity was there to say, listen, of course not, of course we're not going to ask people to show vaccine passports in pretty much every walk of life. No, of course not. But of course they will. And I had a horrible thought, dear listener. And I don't do fear porn, as you well know. And I know you might think the lady doth protest too much because I've said that many times, I don't do fear porn. But I've, we recently, of course, like many people, have had to have our groceries delivered from different providers. I wonder, could it be possible, could it happen that a supermarket chain refuses to deliver your groceries to your front door unless you prove that you've been jabbed? Because they might say, we don't want our delivery drivers to be put at risk. Our delivery driver has been jabbed. If you've not been jabbed, we're, we're not going to knock on your door and deliver your groceries. Will it get to that? I don't know. It might do. But it might not. I might be talking through my derriere. And I've been known to do that very thing over the years, me, from time to time. I can't exaggerate. So that's more or less your news roundup. Do not forget, do not forget you. And please don't forget, Richard Willett will be with me in hour two. Before that, I'll be joined by Julia Hoff. Julia will be with me in a moment. Lots to talk about with her. There is a huge problem in social care right now with, Julia believes, thousands of people walking away from the profession, which is doom for senior citizens who need care either in the home if they're in, if they're still in their own home, or in a in a care home itself. Julia Hoff will join me in a moment to speak with me during the program. Go to richieallen.co.uk at the top of the page where it says comment live, comment live, and I will read the comments out as we go along. There is this is your Richie Allen show, and there's not there's nought like it in the world. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Lovely stuff. Now, here's a tune from the Mavericks. I love this song. I think I played it on one of the Sunday morning melodies not so long ago. It's uh, As Long As There's Loving Tonight on your Richie Allen Show. The Mavericks on the Richie Allen Show, as long as there's loving tonight. If you've never heard the Mavericks album In Time, which, correct me if I'm wrong, was it in 2012 it came out or 2013? It's one of the greatest albums I've ever heard. I'd put it in my top ten. Anyway, In Time by the Mavericks. Check it out. If you like a bit of, well, there's there's many genres, really. It's a kind of a mishmash of, of genres. Check it out. Now, this is important. Back in July during a phone-in programme, Julia got in touch. Excellent call. Very informative. Julia is a social care worker. And since then, she's been in touch with me. And um, she tells me, and she's not the only one to tell me, 
that, uh, well, she predicted this, by the way. She predicted back in July that thousands of carers would leave the profession. And they would do so because of the pressures being brought to bear on them to have the vaccine, the jab, we should say the jab, pressures being brought on by their managers. And um, these uh, companies, social care companies, social care organisations, can't get the staff now for love nor money, Julia tells me. And in some cases, she has learned they are resorting to asking existing staff if they can bring somebody in to be trained, if they can recruit people. And they're given bonuses for existing staff if they can recruit uh, other staff. This is very serious. Uh, she believes, as Julia, that maybe 25 to 30% of carers are walking away, many of them very, very experienced. If you are somebody who, somebody who needs care or know somebody who does, this is alarming stuff. Let's welcome Julia back to the programme. Hey, Julia, thanks for coming back on. Nice to speak with you again. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks, thanks for agreeing to come on. It, it is as dire as this now. Thousands of carers are, are walking away. And it, has this accelerated, Julia, in the last couple of weeks or has it been a steady progression since we last spoke? Um, I don't know. All I know is that I know a lot of people who are looking for other jobs. Um, I've got other... Um, people that I know who work in hospitality and uh, are getting loads of applications, nearly all of their job applications are coming from carers. So it shows that people are leaving en masse. Um, I think looking at the .gov website, they were complaining when before they mandated this job that um, only 65% of carers in care homes have been vaccinated or doubly vaccinated. So you have 35% who seem very reluctant to get the job, jab, and a lot of those people aren't going to have it, um, whether they're pressured or not. So they're going to leave. Um, there's several kind of things that concern me about it. Um, I'll start firstly with the government. Now, they mandated this jab before they actually did. They said they were going to do a risk assessment. They never did a risk assessment before they passed the law mandating jabs for care home workers. Do you want to just remind the audience now what a risk assessment is, or do you want me to do it in five words? They needed to look into forensically what it would mean for the industry if they mandated the jab, and they didn't do that. In other words, they they, they didn't look into whether or not they would lose staff or, or not. Is that what you're saying? Uh, they didn't look into yet whether they would lose staff, what would happen to, to people in care homes if there were critical staff shortages. Now, to me, I, I have to do risk assessments in my job. Um, I, I've done a few different careers and in all of the careers I've done, I've had to do risk assessments. Now, if I failed to do a risk assessment and somebody was injured or killed because of that risk assessment not being done, I would obviously be fired. I'd probably be facing criminal charges or possibly civil charges as well. Now, to me, if you've got, I think some of the newspapers are saying that they're predicting that up to 70,000 care home staff might leave. So how many old people are going to die? As a result of it. They're not getting, they can't get care. And there's there's a run on from this on several different things. I mean, firstly, it makes me laugh because last year we had everybody outside clapping for carers. And now this year it's like sat the carers. 
that those ones that have genuine concerns about this vaccination. I'm not anti-vax. I've had I have swine flu vax that was then uh, removed, but I have massive concerns about this vaccination. Looking at the VAERS data, looking at the yellow card data, and I don't think anybody should be in a position to be forced to take a vaccine where there is a significant, it might be small, but it's still a significant risk of death and serious harm. Yeah. Um, you make a good point, Julia. Last year, they were standing outside on, on, on our street here. We weren't obviously standing outside, not because we don't appreciate people who work in jobs like, like yours, but because we, you know, we knew a little bit better. But yeah, our, our neighbours are doing that. And you said they've gone from applauding carers and other health workers to now condemning social care workers because they don't want to put themselves at risk. Again, there's no nuance here. Everybody is lumped into this anti-vaxxer thing, which is complete nonsense. You've said you've had your uh, vaccines in, in the past. And this is going to have dire consequences for people who need social care. Dire consequences. And you know, but you mentioned 70,000. Thank you for sending me links to ITV stories and other stories. That's what they reckon. As many as 70,000 walk away. And well, that's just, well, that's, that's cataclysmic, isn't it? For, for, for yeah. And it's, it's, it's not just that the bigger picture to that. I mean, I'm disgusted with the government. As far as I'm concerned, any MP that voted for this mandate, um, I hope people who lose relatives because of it actually um, make sure that they are, that the MPs that did this are found criminal, criminally responsible because you should not vote on something without having that risk assessment in place to see what the impact is. That's just basic. Hey, Julia, to your, to, your knowledge, to your knowledge, when this went through Parliament, did anybody at, at, at that stage, maybe one or two of the Tory backbenchers might have done, I don't remember, but I don't remember any MP standing up and saying, hey, hang on, folks, you do realise that by mandating it, quite a lot of men and women are going to walk away from the profession. What is that going to mean for those who need care? I don't think anybody did that, Julia. I think did possibly they? Charles Walker did, but don't hey, quote me Walker. on it. I don't, yeah. actually, I don't actually watch television. Tory backbencher, yeah, that makes I, sense. I, yeah, I, I don't watch television at all. I cancelled my licence last year in disgust. Yeah. Um, so I don't see a lot of the clips. But... I mean, the, the the other thing, there's a wider impact on this. We're not just talking about, A, this is going to harm carers who have worked throughout this pandemic, who work often in very difficult environments, low wages. They're going to lose their jobs and possibly go on to do a job that they don't really want to do. Um, we're talking about, obviously, you say the harm to older people, but this has got a wider picture that nobody's thinking about in that. You obviously have a lot of people, particularly in the winter, and it's probably going to be even worse this year. We know that. We know what's coming, I think, um, who are going to end up in hospital because of falls, because of chest infections, pneumonia, some COVID, uh, flu, the works. Now, those people, elderly people, often need care after they leave hospital. Of course. They can't go back home, so they need to go into a care home. Well, what happens if the hospitals ringing around these care homes, they can't take anyone on because A, they've lost thousands of staff, B, some of their staff are off sick after they've had their third booster jab, um, and which is all happening around the same time. It's all going to start happening September, October, November, December, worst time possible. So you're going to end up 
with thousands of elderly people bed blocking the NHS. Now, the NHS has got, what is the waiting list now? 14 million. It could be 14 million, yeah. Next year it could get yeah. as bad as 14 million, yeah. Yeah, so what is, so we've now got, we've now got a situation where these people could have left hospital and gone into a care home. Now they can't if there's no staffing. I didn't think of that. You're right, I didn't think of that. So you have so, elderly people who are not in care homes, who are living at home. They will need hospital beds this winter. They'll be sick with all the things you described. They will then need to come out. They will need care, but it won't be there for them. So in many cases, they'll need to be kept in hospital. Perfect storm you're describing there, Julia. Yeah, and so you're going to then have people up in arms, because, rightly so, because their cancer operation's been cancelled or their mum's has or or their surgery for something, they're in agony or they're at risk of dying and they can't get their surgery because there's not a bed. Um, and I I don't know what on earth is going on because they're now talking about mandating it for the NHS. Yeah. We've seen in other countries, I think in, in parts of the States, uh, Canada, Australia, that they're firing nurses. I've seen that on social media, several nurses whose contracts haven't been renewed. Now, this seems utter madness to me. We're supposed to be in a pandemic we know that winter's coming in the Northern Hemisphere and we're firing the exact people that we need. You sound, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, you sound incredibly, you, you sound absolutely shocked by this, Julia. I mean, I can hear it in your voice. This is, yeah. Yeah. It just seems to me that it's, it's almost like it's a kind of script. I'm like, who's behind this? Because you, you're hearing the same things being said by Trudeau, by uh, Boris, by Macron. And it, it just does not make sense, particularly when we know the vaccine does not stop you getting or transmitting COVID. No, it makes it no reduces sense. symptoms. It makes no sense so, whatsoever. A point that was made by one or two MPs during the urgent question to Zahawi today, but it just went, doesn't matter. You'll get one or two Tory backbenchers who will point this out. You'll hear it on talk radio, but it, it just seems that there's, there's no follow-up. It's like, okay, I've said it, and, well, we'll just leave it go then. Nobody follows up and really goes after them. And for 30 years, they've been reducing bed um, numbers in this country. So bed, bed numbers have fallen by half in 30 years, while the country, while the UK year on year has grown by the size of a small city. So you were losing beds anyway, year in, year out. And then when this happened last year, they took beds out anyway so that, so that they could maintain social distancing. It is, no matter what way you describe it, and I'm, I don't have your experience, I don't have your knowledge, it seems patently insane to me. And I understand why you, why you would wonder then, and you're not saying this, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I understand why you or anybody would begin to wonder they couldn't be that stupid. Is is this by design? Are they doing it deliberately? I, as I say, I just I I can't cannot believe that people can be that no uh, that much of an idiot. It's just I I'm just speechless by it. And the other thing that obviously this is going to lead on to this is going to affect everybody because we know what's going to happen. Then we'll get the bed blocking. Then they're going to say the NHS is under horrendous crisis. We must lock down for the whole of winter. So, and I, I've been telling people for months we're going to lock down again in winter. Oh, no, no, they wouldn't do that. And now, what is it, the last couple of days? Oh, we're going to have a fire break lockdown in October if we need one. So they're already planning it. Um, 
and they just they they have made things significantly worse. You're not uh, you're not fear mongering. You're you're not. I want to make this point because this will be very alarming for some listeners. It'll also be very disappointing, and there will be a lot of despondent listeners hearing this. Julia is right, folks. It kills me to say it because we're all the same here. You know, none of us is better than any than anybody else. We're all the same. It it cripples my mind to think that they will do this again this winter. They will close society down. They will tell people to remain at home. They will close schools. They will close hospitality. They will do this because everything Julia is saying is right. They don't have the beds to begin with. They're losing qualified, experienced social care staff who have every right to say they don't want to take the experimental jab. One in 10 NHS workers, like nurses and and other staff in hospitals, have said they won't take it, so they're going to lose them as well. And of course they'll say they're overwhelmed and that they're crippled in the winter, and of course they will say we need to do what they've done. And Well, Julie, what you've described, and you've you've described it brilliantly, and I, I mean that, you really have, they're doing it in parts of Australia. Closing yeah, down. Australia, Canada. Um, I saw somebody on the in the US saying that they they hadn't had their contract renewed because they weren't having the vaccine. Um, I heard an interview the other day in Canada saying that I think nine hundred nurses in the Toronto area were resigning yeah. over vaccine mandates. I heard you. I th- mean, sorry, sorry, to, sorry to cut across you. I did hear you say that. Just in case listeners think I wasn't listening to you. No, what I meant is they're doing the lockdown stuff. They're doing it in Australia. You know, uh, martial, well, I shouldn't say martial law, but they have the army walking around places, Brisbane and and, and other places, telling people to get indoors and telling them to wear masks outside. Yeah, it's inevitable this winter we're going to have this. Oh, how depressing, how depressing. And you said to me, you said to me in, in your email that you're aware that managers and manageresses, good people now, who are in care homes, they are so desperate, they can see the train coming down uh, the track that they're resorting to unusual methods to recruit staff. Financial incentives, tell us about what you've heard. Well, there's there's been financial incentives for care staff for a long time. It's it's not nothing new. Um, there's often been sort of a £200 welcome bonus or... Um, refer a friend and get um, a voucher for £50 or £100. That's been quite common. However, I I mean, I looked uh, on the website of a care home I used to work for today. They are offering um, for not just carers, for um, cleaners, various different staff, £500 welcome bonus. Uh, When I was looking, because an article came up, I wouldn't normally read The Guardian, but it came up on my social media. So I read it and it was about the subject that I'm talking about, uh, not as in, in as much detail, but it was talking about staff shortages. And they were, um, I'm trying to, I've lost my train. No, no, you take your time. No, no, take your time. There's lots of comment coming in on this, by the way. You were talking about the incentives that they're offering for people. You've said that they've been, yeah. they've always done that but it's obviously getting more serious now and they're yeah. doing it. They're offering, the, the, the financial in, inducements are, they're, they're more generous now, basically. 
Well, actually, I've remembered what it was I was going to say. It was uh, something that I saw um, as I was reading through, and I couldn't believe it. They were offering, this was for nurses, in uh, night nurses in a couple of care homes. They were offering a £10,000 new starter bonus. Ten grand. Ten yes. grand for new starters. That's how desperate. Yeah. I mean, if that doesn't smack of abject desperation, nothing does. Yeah. Um, and I know people who work for agencies um, and they they go to different places each time. They are getting offered jobs left, right and centre. They can take their pick of jobs because they're just, you know, somebody turns up who's, who's good and, and who knows what they're doing. And they want them because they're so short. Jesus Christ. I, I remember speaking in... in in July and listening to you there now it's obvious that compassion for for people shines out of you and they're going to lose you obviously we talked about this in July and many oh. more people who love the job and are made for caring for people made for it I, I said before now I wasn't virtue I swear to God I wasn't virtue signalling I said it a thousand times I loved them um, my grandparents I loved them so I want the people who look after them when they need to be looked after. I want them to be paid well. I don't want them to worry about their next bill or their mortgage payment. I don't want them stressed about financial things. It's a beautiful, almost vocational job, uh, Julia, as far as I'm concerned. I want them treated properly and paid well. But, but, but typically it's not the case in the care profession. The pay is desperate and the conditions are often terrible. Am I right? Um, it, it depends. Uh, salaries have gone up a bit, but then uh, again, I'll refer to the article that was in the Guardian. It was a, a care home manager who was saying that they were paying something like nine pound twenty or thirty an hour in the Midlands, um, and a, a Amazon warehouse had opened down the road that was paying thirteen pound fifty an hour. Well, so yeah. Yeah. numerous staff went to the Amazon warehouse. Which, if you're if you're going to be earning an extra, what? Four pounds an hour, which why wouldn't is a good amount. Um, why not? And then I think this manager was talking about people that had left to go to higher-paying jobs like that, and also they'd lost staff. I think they said they'd lost two staff because of the vaccine mandate already. And you mentioned uh, earlier on, at the very top of the program, you mentioned at the top of our conversation, I should say, you mentioned that hospitality. You said they're getting more applications from from carers who are leaving, of course, they'll welcome them with open arms, won't they? Because they're, it's a huge shortage. Every time I listen to commercial radio uh, these days, it's most days, there is someone on there from the nighttime industry begging people to come and take these jobs. So, so there, yeah. there, there will be something, of course, until inevitably the hospitality uh, landlords and landladies inevitably want their staff to be, to be jabbed. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing with the, the rollout as well, as you say, until hospitality want their staff jabbed. Um, if you read the petition parliament, um, it was a one that was put up about not requiring care home staff to have jabs. Um, it was debated in parliament because it went up to uh, over 100,000 people. But they did the initial written response as well to that. And basically they said uh, the further consultation is that this be... Uh, rolled out to wider social care 
um, which is where at the moment I wouldn't lose my job because I don't provide personal care in the job that I do. However, if it's rolled out to wider social care, then I will lose my job. Um, and then they were saying about the NHS. So, and, and I think, as you mentioned in Australia, it's it's literally the, these prime ministers. It, it kind of reminds me, I'm listening to them and, and I actually... Uh, studied in the Soviet Union, it was, it was collapsing, and I'm what I'm seeing, what what I'm listening to. I'm like, this is absolute tyranny. Just basically having a, a whole section of society who you are going to just throw to the dogs and say you can't work, you can't go out of your house, you can't do this and that for a virus which has a very high survival rate particularly for younger people, it, it, it's just insanity. The, the level of tyranny and control, it, it's, it's not warranted with what's happening. Of course it's, it isn't. It's crazy. And you know, Stuart Hosey from the SNP tried to get an assurance from Zahawi today, the vaccine minister, that this wouldn't eventually, you know, be demanded for entry to supermarkets and other places the vaccine passport but Zahawi wouldn't give him any such assurance he said they'd be back with information on that in, in due course astonishing stuff I'm I'm like you I, I, I am blinking and rubbing my eyes and you know I'm sticking my index finger in my ears to see to see is the wax built up so bad that I'm mishearing things and, and I'm not I'm hearing people openly discussing tyranny on television and and news presenters like Kay Burley telling these people they're doing a great job. It's, it's, I, I do some, I don't know if you, Julie, I don't know if this happens to you, but I honest to God do have genuine moments where I do think sometimes, not all the time, but I might just wake up in the morning and this might not have happened. I might have a Bobby Ewing in Dallas moment, you know? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. The, the last yeah. year was just a joke, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just, I just can't believe that people cannot see that this isn't about a virus anymore and it hasn't been for quite a while. This is about control. It's all to do with control. It's these vaccine passports, as we know, they, they haven't just got your vaccine details on there. I think they, they say you've got, they've got your driving license details, blah, blah, blah. So it's going to be the case that it's going to, we are, well, it's agenda 2021 and agenda 2030, isn't it? It's a case that they basically want everybody controlled. They don't want anyone to travel anymore. They want you to be living in a box in a city, um, and everything within 15 minutes of your home. That's that's the World Economic Forum, isn't it? Saying they want everything text. within 15 minutes of your home. Yeah. Now, I I'm very lucky. I I feel I, I feel very sad for younger people these days with with what they're going on. I'm around your age, a little bit older. Um, I was very, very lucky to travel and live abroad. And those things, are, that's what life's about, experiences, um, about seeing different cultures, about seeing different things, about going to different things, whether it's like you with your concerts or other people who say, my passion is travel. Yeah. People aren't going to be able to do those things anymore. We're, we're seeing now the amount of people I know that have the job to go on holiday and they can't, the holidays have been cancelled. So they still not managed to go abroad. Even though they've, um, they've rolled up their sleeves and done what they're told. Can, yeah. can, can, I, can I ask you this? Because we've got about 10 minutes left. Julia is on the line. She's a social care worker. Phoned in with, a, with an excellent call back in July and has uh, been doing some terrific research, really. Is an expert, obviously, and is talking about how, it, how the devastation 
this winter could be avoided, you know. But we're going to have a lot of people needing to go into hospital this winter like we normally do. And Julie has been explaining very eloquently how a lot of these older people who live at home, when they've had a terrible respiratory infection or pneumonia or a bad fall, when they leave hospital, they need care. But the care won't be there because thousands of people, tens of thousands, are leaving social care because they won't consent they, 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 they're not accepting the, the, the mandation of the job. They won't have it. And Julia says this will inevitably lead to a full-scale lockdown in the winter because, you know, the government will come out and say, well, look, we're absolutely overwhelmed. Panic stations, uh, no room in hospitals because those elderly people won't be able to leave hospital. And um, it's just, we'll, we'll have what we had last winter, but it'll be, it'll be worse again. She's very, she's explained that incredibly well. I agree with her. It's horrible to, to hear this, but I agree. In the few minutes we have left, you touched on something in the email you sent me, which is very pertinent, I think. And that is um, when we heard about people, when we heard from women who said that they were having abnormal menstrual cycles and abdominal pain. And this was a lot of women, now, not just through this programme, but through many other uh, independent media programmes and through the internet, were saying they felt that their proximity to people who had been jabbed was giving them prolonged heavy periods and, and other problems like that. And you touched on something in, and you, you got into, I think you might have talked about this in July, but endometriosis. And that's something you know about. Do you want to tell us about this for uh, for a couple of minutes? Because it's very, very concerning. It's very interesting, but also very uh, concerning what might be going on. Yeah, um, if people are squeamish, I apologise because I'll explain it and it's, it is a bit sort of gruesome in parts. It's a very, very common uh, illness among women. Um, it takes many years to get diagnosed because it requires surgery to get diagnosed. Uh, and basically it's where um, during periods you get very, very, very painful and heavy periods. I used to faint. They were that bad um, and couldn't even keep a glass of water down. I'd just be vomiting nonstop. Um, and it's what happens is for some reason the blood just doesn't flow out it flows into your pelvic area and it can cause um, blood filled cysts um, it can go on to it's been found in every organ of the body I think bar I think there's only one I can't remember there's one organ it hasn't been found on people have, sometimes have it on the liver um, it can go into the lungs in rare cases and it's a major cause of infertility now the symptoms of endometriosis are severe uh, heavy periods um, and abdominal pain lasting more than a year. Now, as you say, we're hearing from women who are vaccinated and unvaccinated that they're getting horrendous periods. Now, yeah, it could be, it's, it's just a theory, it could just be that, that they calm down and everything's okay. However, in a lot of countries like Israel and here for care workers, they're going to roll out another booster jab and then probably another one and another one and another one so what's going to happen to these women if this symptoms persist are they going to end up having endometriosis um i know from sort of reading years ago that they were talking about gulf war syndrome and saying that a lot of soldiers wives ended up with endometriosis now we do know that a lot of those soldiers had vaccines galore when they were deployed to the gulf yeah um, and that they also said that there was male fertility issues because of that. So I just wonder, is, I, I don't know, we're not going to know this for a few years, are we? What's going to happen? But 
Um, and I think there's been a, quite a few doctors that have said that this spike protein seems to concentrate mainly, that the biggest concentrations when they've looked have been found in the ovaries. So what's going on with that? It's, it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? And it is bizarre. Making and, women Ill. and for those listening who are sceptical, the, the Sunday Times, just before I took my holiday, the Sunday Times, to its credit, ran a story on this. Now, they haven't followed it up, which is typical of the MSM, but they ran a story and said that vaccinated women, lots of them, are saying that they're having prolonged heavy periods, worse pain than normal. And uh, they, they they put that out there, the Sunday Times. And again, I didn't think, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm supposed to be refreshed and, and, and rested after my holiday. But I didn't think of the boosters. And you've just hit me over the head with it now. Yes, that would obviously be of concern. If, because the boosters are basically the same jabs. Although I think they've talked about if you had Pfizer jabs, they've talked about your booster might be something else. It might be Moderna or it, it might be AstraZeneca. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And this yeah. is, nobody's talking about it. Apart from genuine doctors and genuine scientists who've been banned by the legacy media and you can only hear them on BitChute or on programmes like this from time to time. And your concern, I suppose, Julia, is is that the great majority of women are not hearing this information. They're just not no. hearing it. No, and it, it's, it, I mean, you had that whistleblower, didn't you, that, uh, at the start of this when the vaccines were coming out, when the insert for the patient was completely different to the insert for the health That's professional, right. saying that the impact of this vaccine on fertility is unknown. Yeah. I have a, a relative who, who decided not to have the jab, but... They work in the NHS. So are they going to be forced to have the jab or or are they going to have to leave and find another job somewhere else? Uh, it's these things that need looking at. It's we're very early doors. Are, are we going to have major fertility issues? Is, is that the plan? I don't know. It's but it is of concern. And besides that, even if they don't end up with something as severe as endometriosis, if women, I mean, I've seen it on social media, women saying that they've been bleeding for like 30 days or 40 days and things like that. That's going to be exhausting. You're going to end up with anemia, tiredness, all sorts of, you know, your, your immune system's going to go down because you're feeling unwell. Depression, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Tell me this before we um, say goodbye today. And thanks so much for coming for coming on. I know it isn't easy. I know there are consequences to there can be for people like you when you when you speak out and express your opinion. What you said about the the possibility of of this winter and a massive lockdown, I think you're right. And it occurred to me when you were speaking, maybe they'll fill these Nightingale hospitals that that kind of lay empty last winter. Maybe they'll fill those this coming winter and use that to signal to the population, look, this is a deadly, deadly, deadly pandemic. It isn't going away. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have to demand that you show a vaccine passport when you go to your local baker or your local butcher, or even if you walk into your local shopping mall, maybe. But yeah, I see that. I see them filling up those um, Nightingale hospitals, those temporary hospitals this winter, when they have no space whatsoever in regular hospitals because, as you said earlier, they won't be able to release the senior citizens, God love them, because there won't be any carers or any care places in care homes for them. 
What do you think of that before um, before we say goodbye today? Um, I think you're right. Well, we know what the media's like. They've just it's just been whipping up this incessant fear and when people are in a fear state they just they can't step back and look at it rationally and that's what's happening isn't it that people are just not looking at this rationally and when when I speak to people sometimes and I say to them so what do you think the death rate from COVID is and I know I've had people say to me oh it's 10 20 30 percent they they really believe that you know if if you get COVID it's it's a death sentence um ignorance so many people say that. And then I know, I, I have to say, I know a lot of people have had COVID. None of them have even been hospitalised, to be honest. And some no. of them have been in their 80s. Um, and that's not to say, I mean, I, I could get it. I could end up dead. I could end up in hospital. Yeah, people do. That, that happens. I'm not saying that it won't happen. But I've made my choice. I'm happy with my choice. Um, I have a couple of medical conditions that I've heard from a lot of people have been made a lot worse since they've had the jab I don't want to risk that I don't want to risk being in even more pain than I am already so I've decided to make my choice and that should be I'm happy with those people who've chosen that they want to be vaccinated that's their choice good for them but also it's the same for those people who've decided you shouldn't be you shouldn't be condemned to unemployment you shouldn't be kind of cast out by society because you've not been willing to take an experimental treatment that even Ross Jones, the paediatrician, told Talk Radio yesterday, phase three trials. Nobody knows what the long-term impact of these medicines are. Julia, I know you'll stay in touch with me, so do that. And uh, I'm sure we'll we'll be speaking again uh, this winter, this coming winter. I have no doubt about it. Thanks for coming back to to me with the information you did. and, And thanks for your time today. I really mean that. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, can I just mention one last thing, please? You can. Go ahead. Very quickly. Um, it's just that I know that a lot of people sort of feel that they they don't know anyone close by them, and so they kind of feel alone. Um, on Twitter, uh, Lee Hurst, the comedian, he has been putting to people in touch with each other locally. Um, so if there's anybody that feels that they want to, to sort of reach out to people locally, knowing what's going to kind of happen this winter then he can, they can get into contact with him and then he's got points of contact in these different groups that are, I think sort of county groups. That's um, interesting. He's, he, he's still there, is he? Because I know he had some Twitter problems. I, I'm, I'm obviously not on Twitter anymore, but he's still there so people can contact him through Twitter. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, he's still there. He was when I looked recently. Well, good, Julie. That's that's good information, that. So, folks, go and look for Lee Hurst, H-U-R-S-T. Uh, you'll find him straight away and uh, and do that. Julia, thanks. No worries. Take care. Look after yourself. Thanks for coming back on the programme. Julia Hoff there, who works in social care. Very conscientious, obviously. And is painting a pretty grim, a pretty bleak picture about what's going to happen when tens of thousands of social care workers leave the profession. When seniors <clears throat> go from their homes to hospital this autumn, this win- this winter, as happens every autumn, winter and spring, um, what happens for many of them is when they come out, they will need some care when they leave hospital. Some of them will get it at home. Some of them will need to go into a care home. As Julia says, there won't be any care for them in their home and there'll be virtually zero places in care homes, so they will need to be kept 
in hospital, meaning there won't be any hospital beds for those who need them for cancers and strokes and heart attacks and everything else. That will be an absolute disaster. It'll be a catastrophe. She believes that the government will then inflict upon us um, lockdowns, terrible, full-scale lockdowns, and that's going to be devastating as well in so many other ways, yeah. It says six minutes past six o'clock. You're with the Richie Allen radio show. It is live as usual from Salford here in the great, great northwest of the UK. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Are you a company based in the northwest of England who want to improve their profile via social media? Yes! Well, you could go out in the car park and film something on your phone, but it's not very good, is it? No! Sounds terrible, yes! the picture's not that great. Yes! Try Ensign Films. We're a new video production company based in the heart of Manchester. We're really old, we've had loads of experience, and we can work within your budget. Don't go out in the car park with Debbie from Accounts. Seriously. Ensignfilms.co.uk you're listening to the saviour of the independent media. It's your Richie Allen. Seven minutes past six. Welcome back to the programme. It's a glorious evening here in Salford. It is the 8th of September 2021. I am Richie Allen. Ryan Christian, the last American vagabond, will be on the programme with me tomorrow. You don't want to miss him. Matt Landman, the filmmaker, will be on with me next week on Monday. Got lots of really interesting people coming up in the coming days and weeks. Richard Willett will be with me in about five minutes' time, just before we welcome Richard back to the programme. Top man, by the way. Great filmmaker. Great presenter. Check out the Glitch in the Code uh, show on the iconic platform. I recommend that. It's very, very good. He's been kind enough, Richard, to have me on in the past. And uh, that did me no end of good, putting me out there. So, uh, top man, Richard Richard will be with me in a couple of minutes. Lots to talk about with him. Thank you for your messages. RichieAllen.co.uk, that's my website. At the very top of the page, you'll see it says comment live. You can go in there, comment on the programme, and you can chat away merrily with others who are doing the same thing. You can chat away with them. You can agree with them or disagree with them. Uh, it's uh, I'm getting used to this system now, so bear with me. So I just want to say hello to Orban Fox, to Joan, to Alan Tracy. How you doing, Alan? Nice to... Uh, uh, to uh, to hear from you. <laughs> yes, I did say that, didn't I? You know, things were funnier back then. I don't think things are as funny now. Yeah, I did make a comment about having more chance of being pelted to death by squirrels chucking chestnuts at me while walking in my park than dying from COVID-19. I did say that. Alan, thank you. Hi to Alan, Base Ninja in Liverpool, to Colin Graney in Kerry. Hi to Paul uh, Vickers. How you doing, Paul? To Richard Kelly. To Pandora. How you doing, Pandora? It's very busy on the old comment line there. Hi to Lucy. Hi to Mork and Mindy. We're absolutely blessed, Mork and Mindy. Pam Dauber, wasn't it? Did Pam Dauber play Mindy? If I'm right, I've got a great memory. Hi to Craig, who says this. Cash incentives for carer staff will inevitably draw in a load of people who do not have the personalities to do that job, such as abusers and more authoritarian types. Thank you, Craig. It's a grim outlook. 
but I understand why you said that. Yes, it's possible. Heather says, Richie, in Dubai, they boast that all Talibat delivery staff have been jabbed. Sadly, many will see this as a good thing. Morons, I now do not use the Talibat delivery company and I won't in the future. Hi to Aaron who says Richie Radiology is suffering from lack of staff too. We're right in the middle of a cycle of lack of techs. We were we were in, we were in the middle of a cycle of a lack of techs and then COVID hit. Hospitals wouldn't allow us to send students so we had to decrease the number of admission. Hence a dangerous shortage says Aaron. Thank you Aaron. Lots and lots of messages coming through the website. Hi to Charlie Stevenson who says the collapse of the NHS and care sector will be blamed on the unvaccinated. It will be brutal says Charlie. Hi to Karen Williams. I'm a former nurse Richie and an NVQ trainer, assessor uh, who I will also need the jab uh, as they, sorry I am an, uh, an NVQ trainer and assessors. She trains and assesses people who work in care homes. They will need the jabs because they sometimes work in care homes. I'm getting misered, she says, great northern term, constantly by recruitment agencies desperate for nurses and train and trainers because they are losing staff. So Karen says we are being bombarded by recruiters desperate for nurses and trainers because they are losing staff because so many, of course, do not want to have the jab and do not plan to have the jab. Here you are. This is Rupert Holmes on your Richie Allen show. Rupert Holmes there and the Pina Colada song. It's at 13 and a half minutes past six o'clock, so it is in Blighty. Gorgeous out there. And sadly, the bearer of bad news, the carrier of bad news. It's going to end. Thunderstorms were promised tomorrow and it'll be more autumnal thereafter. I've uh, a lot of time for my next guest. I genuinely do. Uh, he's, uh, well, he's incredibly well qualified. He got his honours degree in film and TV production in Cambridge. He's had many roles in the media. He's worked in production on radio in Cambridge as well. Uh, and he's worked at BBC Voices. He co-founded Brick in the Wall Media. And these days he's the media content manager for the Iconic Media Group. Iconic is a great platform, full of excellently produced programmes, including The Glitch in the Code Show, which is presented by my friend Richard Willett. Richard, welcome back. How are you? I'm good, mate. What a lovely intro. Thank you. <laughs> well deserved. Do you like the occasional pina colada or are you more a pint man than spirits and I shorts? used to be. I actually stopped drinking about three years ago now, but um, when I did, I did properly. Put it that way. Good man. Good man. <laughs> I, I Just before taking my holiday, I got rid of the alcohol during the week and was only, you know, imbibing at the weekends. But since I've come back, I've had a couple of lagers most evenings. But I've promised myself next week I'm going back to no alcohol on, on school nights. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, because uh, I've just begun watching it, fantastic, about that show. Because I want to start on a nice positive note before we, you know, start talking about the darker stuff. But you've done, <laughs> you've done a couple of series of, um, of, 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 of a show you do with Gareth, where you basically go out and about and walk around uh, the UK. And Christ, is that popular. And it's very good. Tell us about that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's called The Walk. And what we wanted to do was like a, 
an alternative media version of a uh, walkthrough history because obviously you're going to get their, their lines of what you what they want to say and uh the tony robbins walkthrough history which by the way we actually saw him we bizarrely we were filming the last episode of the first series i believe and we literally crossed paths with him in london as he was filming his series it was really bizarre baldrick and, um, baldrick yeah, you met him it's it very very odd baldrick yeah baldrick and um so it's it's a kind of an alternative walk through history, and we we look at the like kind of the the weird mythologies and and the conspiracy theories instead of the stuff that they'll tell you basically on mainstream TV. So we wanted to do something like that, but then it became just two guys laughing at how mad the world was, and and some interviews with people with historians, and then it just got really really bizarre. But then it it turned out to be really funny. And people are really loving it because it's some light humour at the moment compared to what we're obviously going through. Um, it's a kind of a spin-off or, or along the lines of this What If show that we do together where we look, we, we every fortnight we get together and we talk about the most insane headlines for the last two weeks and we, we laugh at them, basically, the most mad things that have happened in this COVID mad... Both of you are very funny and very witty. Thank you. In another time, in better times... Both of you would be would be invited to be panelists on various programs. You're you're very witty. You've got a great rapport, and that I didn't want to be cutting across you there because this is important. You guys are left lampooning what's going on. What happened to comedians in this country, Richard? Well, you can't laugh at anything. I think Sean Collins. I interviewed Sean Collins once, and he's a great comedian, and he's had this trouble as well. And obviously, the woke agenda has completely destroyed humour. Everyone can get offended um, about anything. And what's great about that is I, I take offence. Well, it's like taking an apple. You did the taking. <laughs> That's right. You put your hand out and you picked it up. No one was offending you. You can choose to be offended or not. Um, and we kind of we go along that. Is is that I, To be honest, we're not trying to offend you. But if you're going to get offended, then there's nothing I can do. And if you don't have the constant constituity in, in you to not get offended at us saying silly stuff, then I really have no, I have nothing for you. Yes. This world is a tough place. It's getting tougher. And if you're worried about us laughing at the word hermit, like we did last week, right. then you have a problem. <laughs> I can't help you. You it's can't help those people. What did, did Sean Collins, I didn't see that. I, I will go and grab that later on and have a look at it. Did he touch on the failure of the established comics and, you know, comical producers to dismantle the lies that we've been told in the last 18 months, because, you know, I've, I've noted that. I, I, growing up in the 80s, I remember comedians and comedians, they don't like that these days, they, they've tried to erase the feminine, but I remember them, you know, destroying, not just through spitting image, but through, through sketch shows, absolutely ripping the piss out of the idiots of the day, whether it be John Major, Thatcher, others, you know, Michael Foote, None of that happens anymore. Did Collins get into why that is? I mean, Frankie Boyle, none of them want to go after the, 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 the what I call the scam. Dem I don't deny that COVID might exist. I don't know if it does. It might do, it might not. But none of them want to take on lockdowns or jab coercion. I wonder, did Collins have anything to say on that? Yeah, he did, yeah. I mean, he, he was kind of devastated when I spoke to him. I know he was going through some other issues as well. And at the fact that he, that he seemed to be the very, one of the very, very few that still had the courage to say stuff like that. And and the whole point in, in it was that you have the courage to say whatever you want. People are, in this world are going to hate you no matter what. They're going to find something. They're going to find something to hate you. So you might as well 
you're not going out your way to offend them. So I felt like he was very, very frustrated. I know he's tried to do a couple of tours since and have been okay and he's done all right. Um, but trying to earn a living as a comedian now. And I saw this happening, uh, working in, in like in the, my mid-20s in the TV industry. And a lot of my friends went off to London and they were writing comedy series and they were uh, piss poor, Richie. So bad and so woke and so bad that... that, that you saw it happening then. Let's stay the with this, Real Rich, genuine Richard. comedy was gone. Let's, like stay, let's stay with this. This is good now. Because for many people, they will think, like, very quick example before I shut up and before you come back in, I threw a story together today about the uh, the, the, the the comedian and actress, uh, Janie Godley, who's been targeted because she used the word spaz. In, in in yeah, honestly, she she when she's being trolled and she gets unmerciful trolling apparently, she takes it in fairly good humour, but she uses words that are deemed to be offensive and hurtful to people with disabilities and to to, to victims of tragedies like Chernobyl. I wrote about this today, and um, she's done some ads for the government, some some coronavirus safety ads and all of that. She's very pro Scottish independence. That's her own business. I, I don't care what her positions are but they're going to get rid of her uh, right. they will do and, and she won't be working again soon so a lot of people will think this is a recent phenomenon but now you're telling me that you remember and you're look you're younger than me but you remember that when you graduated some of your mates were and ended up working on stuff that even then you could see was very politically correct and very woke oh yeah it was it was just it was no there was no guts and no balls behind any of it it was all virtue signaling and this was 15 years ago so it was all projecting it was all met i i saw them as severely mentally ill people to be honest and it was very very bizarre but i mean like like what you'll find is the people that are that you think will get offended by the word spaz aren't the people that with additional needs or whatever you want to call it. I was born without an esophagus. I am registered disabled until I was about 16 and should still be now. It's not that actually the people that you think are going to get defend, offended, offended it mostly. It's people virtue signaling saying you can't say that. But if you actually ask the people that they're like, well, they've been through worse things than someone saying that word. Trust me. Can They're I can I be the devil's advocate here now? Thanks for your honesty, but I know you you talk a lot about you don't talk a lot about yourself. You don't do that, but I know you've talked about it before. Being born without without an esophagus that had an impact, of course, on your growth, and yeah. you, you 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 had to deal with that. Can't have been bloody well easy. I can't imagine it. So let me be the devil's advocate. I do kind of understand why people who have certain disabilities, whether they're confined to a wheelchair. I do kind of understand that they might be a bit hurt by comics. And I'm not being a hypocrite here now. I know I will be accused of being a hypocrite when comics use certain terms because, you know, they might say, punch up, you know. You know, you want to take the piss out of people and ridicule people. Go after the elites and the people who make our lives bloody miserable. You know, give me a break. Like, it's hard enough, you know, doing what I do without the feeling that you find my situation funny. That, that's what I would say. What do you say to that? No, I completely agree with you. But using the word on an off-cuff remark, and we know that we used to use that as a kid as something silly to say. Um, so it wasn't at, it's not aimed at a certain specific person. So it, 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 and obviously context is king as well. So you need to put it in the context of what it's said. But yes, it's not a very nice thing to say. But also, in the grand scheme of things, it is just a word, and I don't 
I think there is a real danger of going too far one way or too far the other yeah. way. Like anything extreme one way is what we get with the woke agenda and you can't even say something flippantly. And then the other way is offensive and rude and nasty. And I think that's where common sense comes in. It's always somewhere in the middle and it's not even a not logical thing. We don't have common sense now. We have a woke agenda going on. So common sense is knowing when to say something, when not to say something, when someone will be offended by it, when they won't. And that's an, on an individual basis. Um, yeah. Some people won't mind, some people will, and you don't do it to the ones that will because it's offensive to them. That's just, you know, I mean, you can't whitewash anything in life. So you have to take it on, take it into account of who you're speaking to. Um, but I mean, for her saying it, it, it to me is like, don't we have really bigger things to be worrying about right now and and um it's difficult because then you don't have any comedy and then you can't use it to as you say take the piss out of these people that are doing this and this is something we're really missing now if we're laughing at the matt hancocks of the world or the boris johnson's of the world and laughing at what they're doing laughing out the building we learned this from the fable of the um the uh, the emperor's new clothes it was only that the boy would stand up and say, "You're naked." He's naked. Yeah, that everybody right. laughed. Yeah. and we need that. We need that person. So we need to be able to laugh at these people because the only way they're getting away with it, one of the big ways I believe that they're getting away with it, is that we actually take them seriously. If we laugh them out of the building, they they, they can't do anything with that. Have you ever tried to stop a stroppy child in, in a supermarket? If he sits down, says, "I ain't doing it." <laughs> it, 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 it's it, because we're taking yeah. it seriously we're like we're jumping in on the game does that make sense it so we're kind of sense. playing our part in this in their ability to to control us by taking it like if you would explain what's happening now to you richie two two years ago you would have laughed yeah it would have done yeah yeah but now we're taking it seriously and that's i think part of the part of the problem that we've got is that these people yes we need to take what they're doing seriously but them as individual people laughable. Well said Richard and it's not just today's comics that have been unable or unwilling to dismantle this it's also recording artists and pop stars you know whatever people say about I, I don't want, I shouldn't mention no I won't mention the scruffy Irish guy and his um and his pal uh, from Dublin I won't mention them the Live Aid guys but even going before Live Aid so obviously you had John Lennon and you know, you had Bob Dylan, you had many others, Janis Joplin, many others who um, who sang songs of protest. We don't have any of that. Nobody wants to, to take them on. Nobody no. wants to take it on. It's it's no, almost they like don't. they implicitly understand that it's a career ender. You know, if you laugh at, if you challenge in any way the coercion of people to take a medicine that they might not want to take, it, it, they just don't want to take it on. And I, I can't not go back to your point about 15 years ago. You know, how you saw even then that people were were making more sanitised stuff, producing more sanitised stuff. You wonder how how far back this game goes, Richard. Sometimes you sometimes think about that. You know, was 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 the homogenisation of comedy back then the sanitisation of it was that somehow connected to the things we're seeing today? I don't know. It could be complete crap. You know what I'm saying? I don't know, but it makes me wonder. No, I think you're completely right. And you obviously got the is it the connotations of nineteen eighty four where they're they're deleting words out of the books and yeah. um, and that's what this has been going on for decades, that you can't say this and you can't say that and you got well you can say this and you can say that and you can be offensive because everybody's gonna get offended by different things. You don't want to be offensive. Good people don't want to hurt people. 
but you're going to accidentally uh, upset someone anyway you'll drive yourself insane by trying not to be offensive because people some people make a career of it you'll see them in the um in the comment sections the social media has been a massive boost for this they'll find things to be annoyed about yeah. they'll go through the they'll go through them and they'll look for the comment to, to annoy them go oh, i want to find a comment that annoys me so i can have an argument and usually they're really angry at something else that's happened maybe two years ago and you find the same it's the same mentality of the guy that sits into the bar for 30 years and tells you the same story yeah because he's mad at something that happened way back a long time ago and it actually has nothing to do no, with No, but the problem the is word. they want that person then destroyed, don't they? Yeah, they well, want now they do. Finished. Because it's gone all the other way. You see... And that's the psychoticness of it now. It's psychotic. I remember um, about seven or eight years ago, less maybe, I was chatting with... Um, I was on the phone with David Icke and we were talking about some guy who presents a programme in America. And the guy had been rude on several occasions about, about David. Very rude, in fact, and kind of nasty. And I was surprised that David was saying something nice about him. And I said, um, you know that guy? And he went, yeah. And I said, you know the things he said? And he went, yeah, but he's done this show and he's interviewed this guy and he's done a good job. And David used a phrase that I hadn't heard up to that point, Richard. He said, um, like, he said, the guy's got plenty in the bank. And that put a light bulb off kind of over my head. And thinking of what they're doing today now is destroying people based on some allegedly bigoted thing they might have said some years ago. And what they're saying is, that person has nothing in the bank. All they are now is that person who called somebody a spaz on the internet. That's all they are. They couldn't have ever done any good in their past. They could never have done anything nice. You're basically forevermore now going to be judged on the less salubrious aspects of your character. That's what will condemn you. There's no room for making a mistake or saying the wrong thing. That is a career ender. And that's just, I sometimes look at myself, I pass sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm walking past people and I'm thinking, this is real, this, pinching myself, this is actually going on. A woman is going to lose her career because she calls someone a spaz. Nothing she's mm. ever done before will ever be taken into consideration. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's because, but by the people like us that, I've got some grounding in common sense. We wouldn't do that. And it's unfortunately just been bred into the system that those that are making the decisions were put there because they knew eventually they would be able to be used that way. So you're having people that are in positions of of um, power in, in, a, in a structure where they are brainwashed to be that way. <laughs> and then also, then they're scared of saying anything themselves because they know it'll be them next. I know. And we all know this is coming to us next. Like we said about uh, speaking, the lady that said that was speaking before me that you just interviewed was talking about how the NHS were, workers were clapped last year. And I mean, people like ourselves were saying they'll come for you next year. And they next. did. And they do. And they always do. And they'll come for you next. And they'll wait for you to slip up. And they'll find something you haven't even done. To this is what psychopaths do. They twist and turn things. And they, these are, this is a psychopathic trait. And they don't want you to look at them. I mean, look at the likes of Bill Gates. Look at the likes of Matt Hancock. Look at the likes of Tony Fauci. These people are doing some of the worst things on the planet and then telling you off for saying a word like spaz. What is going on on this planet? Yeah. 
What uh, is going on? And how That's have we? Mad. You you've done some brilliant documentaries, and please plug the bejesus out of them. You've done some brilliant documentaries with Jonathan and with Neil, Jonathan Royal and Neil Sanders, uh, really really top guys as well. You've done some great work on this. You've done great work on psychopathy, and you've done great work on how they manage to to create a hive mind in society where people accept this because this should be this should leave people screaming. You know, but it doesn't. Rather than scream at this and say, you can't destroy that woman because she said spaz, or you can't ruin that person's career. Rather than think like that, the, the hive mind means that they think, oh, get rid of him, burn him, burn her, you know, get rid of her. You've done some great work on this, haven't you? There's, there's documentaries made by your company, Bricking the Wall, that people can watch, Rich. Very important, actually. At this juncture. Yeah, yeah. Um, we made some. I mean, the thing about that sort of psychopathy, when you start to look into conspiracy theories and do this sort of like, well, it is all psychopathy. It's all psychology and it's all psychopathy. So once you understand what a cluster B personality disorder is, then you spot this behavior in every walk of life. And then you, you can spot these people a mile off. It's really, really easy. So I would suggest anyone who wants to understand these people, why they're doing what they're doing, look in the cluster B personality disorders. I learned this from a guy called Richard Granham. I've done a film, a couple of films with him as well. Richard, yeah. And yeah. once I started to realise what this was, because I was dating, unfortunately, someone with borderline personality disorder at the time, I started to realise that not just that, but this is the on the grander scheme of things, this global cult, which I believe it is, is it, it can be identified through behavioural traits and people go is it this race that race and is it um, I mean I do believe it's a bloodline but not a race I believe it's a bloodline of families um, but it's a behavioural trait that's what it is it's a collection of behavioural traits which is a psychopathy and this is what these people are these are psychopaths and then you get people I can't understand that they, they can't put it together because they've been so indoctrinated saying can't be a global conspiracy how would they get this all to work because every single person that's going along with it has been cherry-picked because they display traits of this psychopathy. Cluster B personality. If I said to you, yep. Rich, give me the, the, you know, the, the, the bare bones of what a cluster B personality is, what, 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 what sort of traits would you expect to see in somebody with that type of personality? Um, so I'm not a psychologist, but I, I again... Do I really have to be to be able to read a book and, t and, and relay the information? Does anybody need to be to understand information and relay it on? I think that is another misdemeanor. If you've got an intellect, you can understand things and, and relay them just as well as anybody else can. You don't need to go to university to learn. You need to just have the want to learn and take the time. It's explained brilliantly so, in the documentaries now, it must be said. It, 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 it really is. And these, these are handpicked, these people. I would say so, yeah. So the psychopathy, so cluster B is a thing called histrionic, when you basically make a mountain out of a molehill all the time to get attention. We see that every day. Obviously, narcissism, everybody knows what narcissism is, but the extreme narcissism, psychopathy, socio, um, sociopath. These are the traits that you see, and the classic example of that is the, um, what's the uh, American Psycho, that film. Oh, yeah, Christian Bale, yeah. Christian Bale, American Psycho, that's the extreme version of that. They They live... These people almost they're almost a shell like a a shell of a person. There's nothing in there. And that's usually sometimes to do with trauma. They've shut down so much through trauma of their own that they no longer are able to access feelings of empathy and guilt. Could you be talking shame. sexual abuse? Do you, do you, maybe yeah, yeah many people. times it is that. Yeah. Many, David many David said that, that to me years ago. He said that 
for many of these truly, the ones that appear to be truly evil, the ones that appear to be driving the agenda. He said to me years ago, to his credit, he didn't say that he had any proof, but he said, I would suspect that many of them have experienced dreadful things when they were very, very young, if not sexual abuse, maybe physical abuse. But like a lot of us yeah. have had physical abuse and we've not gone on to to be like that. Something else that you said to me, I think the first time we talked and when we talked about your documentaries, when it, the Cluster B personality, some, many of these people, they, they have great um, pity and feeling for, for animals, funnily enough, but devoid of pity and empathy for human beings. That can be a trait, which is a very strange one, isn't it? It can be, yeah. I mean, also, but some of them could be incredibly cruel to animals as well. At the same time, yeah. Um, at the same time, it's really, really hard to know. I mean, again, there's such a wide spectrum of this and, and people out there listening will be far more of an expert on this than I am. But but it is a character trait of not having empathy and not having compassion. And they don't have to deal with the hurt and pain of hurting another person. That's why they're disconnected. So when you hurt someone, you feel guilt and shame and that hurts you. That yeah. stops you doing it. Um, they don't have that. But that's usually, as, as as David pointed out, and many others, not David, many, many others through all, all spectrums of, of understanding, point out that they've usually been through some sort of trauma themselves and had to switch it off yeah. for them to survive. Take the likes of Bill Gates, for an example. We know that Bill Gates' father was head of Planned Parenthood. We know that. We know that um, the Microsoft was seed funded by IBM and his her mum, his mother, was very close to the founders of IBM who who um, who funded the ticket machines for the Nazi war camps. That's right. That, that, That's so we right. know these connections happen. We also know that that um, Fauci's similar. He was um, they both got connections to the Pilgrim Society and things like that. So we know that these people are brought up and probably abused from a very young age and they've shut off and that's how it goes. It Unimaginably. Goes on years her, and years. Yeah, he, he gates his childhood, whatever it was like, I, I couldn't speak about it, but we know that he was surrounded by unimaginably dreadful people. Yeah. You're right to bring up IBM and the index card system for, for warehousing Jews in Germany. That's what they did, this company. And for those who've got IBM computers, look at that logo. This is the company that was quite happy to help the Nazis index so that they could better know the names and the, the, the ages and the addresses of the people they were murdering. This is who you're dealing with. Yeah. Jesus and people God. don't realise it. And, and, um, and people can't get their head around that this is a global conspiracy. And it really is. And it's a global conspiracy of like-minded people. The very top is our bloodlines of, of Europe. Of, um, bloodlines that go all the way back to um, Mesopotamia, Sumer and Babylon and the Church of Babylon. But it, it really is a mindset. And they, they recruit these people. You know, we know that they go to places like Oxford and Cambridge and Harvard. They're yeah, looking Oxford, for certain yeah. types yeah. of people that have this in them. And then they embellish it and bring it out. So this is something that's gone on through thousands of years, but hundreds of years to the current state. Why would and they play such a long that? game, Richard? This is the thing that I was, I was accosted by a gentleman about six months ago. In, in in my local park. To be fair to him, as, as irate as he was, he was, you know, he was fairly polite. And he said to me, guys like you, you, you talk about this, you know, this agenda and these families and these banking families and royal families and these bloodlines, as you said, Mesopotamia, Babylon times. He said, you've never been able to explain to me why they would play such a long game. Why would people, you know, participate in an agenda that might not come to fruition for 
maybe several thousand years? And it's a good question, you know. I, I put my hands up when I say to the guy, look, don't have all the answers, but, you know, I'm interested in the questions, but I don't have all the answers. What would you say to people who say, how could it be this be going on for thousands of years to, you know, all to come down to, to what we're seeing now? It's a very good question. It was one that, that I looked into for a long time. And my my reasoning is, um, and an example of it is, if you look, in, look into an what they talk about, they all talk about um, living for an eternity. So Hollywood is built around a um, the model of a place in Rome called Hollywood, and it was around a place called Diana's Lake. And what they used to do is get get um, very rich and aristocratic people to come in, sail in, and they would promise them eternal life. Um, they would sacrifice them and nick their and, and steal all their um, their treasures and their jewels, and and they would sacrifice them to the gods. But they were promised eternal life. And if you look into a lot of the, this esoteric, this is a cult. They're promised eternal life. So the way they they view it, don't view it like we view life, like we go on to heaven. They believe that they're doing their part. And part of that is they will be giving eternal life. They won't. They won't die. They'll come back reincarnated in the next body, in the next next um part of this. So they will cycle round. Some people believe they do cycle round these these same bloodlines. That's why they're a different bloodline. Cycle round the same soul cycle round. I'm not saying I believe that, but there is definitely an element of them not believing that they will die and they will be promised eternal life. Um, and that's probably my my greatest understanding is that they don't actually believe that they're going to die. By doing these things, they believe they will be given eternal life, as in spirit, reincarnated in different bodies. That's why they do it. Remember, this is a cult. This is a belief system. This is no more of a strange belief system than it is that, that people believe that Jesus was re resurrected from the dead. Why would it be any different that these people didn't don't believe that they will be given eternal life? Yes. Absolutely right. And uh, what you've just said to me there has been said to me by one or two people over the years. And, and, and I accept it as plausible. I really do. I, I genuinely do accept it as plausible. I think um, uh, secret societies, I think, I think the very top of Freemasonry. I really do believe that most people that are in the Freemasons, you know, they're not involved in anything. They're not part of any agenda. They're go along to get along people. You know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. But I believe for centuries, yes, they have headhunted people and, and put them in these institutions. Bilderberg is another one, I think. I see that, Richard. It's a, it's a very plausible answer. Do you feel then, having done that research, do you feel that it does, it does seem that it's, it's coming to the end now? That whatever, whatever th these people, these groups of people th throughout the ages were working towards that that we're at the beginning of the end of it or that it is reaching some sort of climax now. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I think anyone would really um, have done any of this research. They're certainly sped up. My kind of take on it is something spooked them into speeding up. Um, and that can only be a good thing, really. Um, but yeah, there, there is obviously a clear speeding up in this. And, and what that, that's doing is... That's waking so many people up so quickly that it must have been a big thing because they usually wouldn't do it this quickly to be able to wake this many people up. It's so extreme right now. You have to purposely be burying your head in the sand and digging your whole body under to not see what's going on now and purposely through cognitive dissonance not wanting to know. So I believe that there is a complete, there's this, this, this kind of race to the finish. And maybe that's what the term human race means. Maybe. It seems like there is a, 
there is a finish line coming here and and i believe that humanity is 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 doing far better than the main the media will let you know of course they own the media but if you were to go and ask people in the street oh yes they might be wearing a mask they might have got their first two um experimental gene therapies but they won't get the first they won't get the third one they won't get the fourth one they'll for every time they push they lose another group of people and i don't think they have the time to put all this out they're getting small places like china has already done obviously we've seen the horrific mess they're making in certain yeah, parts of australia yeah. and new zealand but this is good richard this is good because i think something that you and i an opinion i think we we might share the spike protein, the the the, the problems that, that people are concerned about regarding the jabs, how the jabs might turn the immune system, you know, against uh, you if you've had the jab and how it could cause catastrophic organ failure and all of that, which I, I believe those researchers who have looked into this. But I also don't believe in the ingenuity of these lunatics. I don't believe in it. So I therefore do not believe that everybody who has had the jab will be destroyed by it. I don't believe that for a minute. And, uh, you know, that that doesn't mean that I would ever have, of course I would never have a jab, I, not at all. And it doesn't mean that I wouldn't continue to advise people to listen to the great doctors and scientists who have said don't have the jab. But I also don't believe that everyone who has had it is doomed. Uh, because these people are not geniuses. They're not. They're not. They're not the, you, you know, the all-powerful uh, entities that we we think they are. They have failed time and again historically. And I think with this jab rollout, I think they will kill lots of people with it. I have no doubt. But I don't think as many people will die of it. And I think this winter, if my previous guest is right, the the, the, the uh, Julie, the social care worker, will. Uh, you know, enlighten even more people that something terrible is going on. Therefore, I think you're right. They might refuse booster three, four, five and six. And um, something very good might come out of that, Richard. I'm with you. I don't think ever, I don't think it's going to be. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be like everyone who's had it. It's going to be severely ill. I don't kind of go along with that. I, I think it's too soon. I don't think they've managed to get that far. Um Maybe that's wishful thinking. I hope no, it's it not doesn't. wishful thinking. I, I, I just don't think it is. In my heart of hearts, I just don't think it is. I, I think that, yes, the spike tro- proteins are going to make a lot of people very, very ill. But I also believe in the human spirit. And I also believe in the fact that these people are, are ultimately idiots. They really are idiots. And they, they're, they're not creative. They've rushed it. They're psychopaths. They do everything they do because they're almost childlike and they've overdone it too quickly. Overplayed um, their hand. But I... I do think people are going to get very, very ill. They already are getting very, very ill. Um, but I do think also that the, 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 it's tilted the other way because even man, many mainstream media now are talking about the absurdity of what's going on with the vaccines and they're waking up to it quite quickly. So um, I like to think that most a lot of people won't get very severely ill from it. And I'm with you on that one. I just don't see it being that catastrophic in that sense but obviously it's going to be on a personal level when you lose someone but but the longer it goes on the more it's going to i just think there is a race going on here there really is a race going on here and it's it's between 2020 to 2030 and we all know agenda 2030 and what they were planned for that there might be a 10-year window just to be a 10-year window yeah. yeah just to be devil's advocate again 
Rima Labo, who I have a, an enormous amount of respect for, she told me the other night on the programme that she believes that if if 13,000 people have, or if if the families of 13,000 people have claimed on VAERS, the American vaccine reporting system, if 13,000 have said that they believe the vaccine led to a death or the jab led to a death, she says you can probably multiply that by 10 and maybe more. So while I agree with Richard that, you know, not everybody who has the jab is going to die. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, we've all had, we've all got family who've had it. I have extended family who have had it. And, you know, my missus is worried about them and and I totally understand that. But but I'm not saying that to make people feel better. I genuinely am with Richard. I don't believe that they're as uh, clever as they think they are. I think they would like millions to be killed by uh, the jabs and blame it on the variants. And I think lots of people will die uh, from the jab. I have no doubt they will. It will kill lots and lots and lots of people. But n- maybe not as many. But yeah, but just to be the devil's advocate, Rima reckons it might have killed already in the US maybe several hundred thousand people. That's what she believes. I agree. I couldn't. I, I absolutely even agree. already. Jeez, I mean that's a yeah. lot, then, isn't it? Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, you look at this tiny percentage of of um. Of, I mean, who's going to report it? So. Yeah, I completely agree. You're looking at maybe even 1% or 10% of, of that being the true estimate of actually what's happened. And it's, that's that's terrifying. To even, I mean, it's absurd we're even thinking about this in, in terms of discussing it and people still taking it. What sort of world do we live You'd in? You'd have to be crazy to take it, Richard, wouldn't you? you? You would be now. You would absolutely be now. And um, and um, and I knew from the start, when, we, when this first happened, because we do the research that we do, and when the circles that we do, we kind of knew what was going on here. We didn't know. And I'm with you. I don't know whether it's it's a thing or it's a not a thing, but it certainly isn't a pandemic. It certainly isn't what they were making out to be. And it certainly isn't something that we should all be concerned about, in my my opinion. But it, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. But come on. Come on. I mean, anyone can see that what the overreaction, it was like putting a plaster cast on your child's leg because they bumped it on a beach ball. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was like, it was utterly insane. Stop it. And they Just knew even then, stuff. because the chief medical officer, Witty, even then, he did that famous 90-second monologue where he basically said that COVID is harmless to pretty much most people in the country. He, he diluted it and diluted it and diluted it and acknowledged that you'll need to be very old and very ill, you know, to uh, to possibly pass away from it. And yet they, that seemed to go over the heads of, of uh, most of the people in this country. Let me just remind, because I should have done this earlier on, Richard Willett is a filmmaker, a very experienced and very talented fil- filmmaker, an honours degree in film and TV production, uh, hu- hugely involved in the Iconic Project, which is excellent, by the way. It's iconic.com, I-C-K-O-N-I-C.com. They are producing terrific content, films, talk programmes, chat programmes um, and are giving a leg up to a lot of talented people in the independent media. So check it out uh, if you can. Richard, Richard is the man behind Brick in the Wall Media. Some very, very good documentaries there. We've discussed some of them earlier on. I can't recommend them highly enough. Do go and find them on iconic.com. So glasses definitely half full, Richard. And, and for you, I suppose, it's even more... I, I genuinely mean this when I say it because I, we're, we're childless. You've got a beautiful young baby. 
uh, there, yeah. you and your partner. So, uh, I, 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 for me, it's 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 more it's more serious. I think for parents, particularly parents of 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 youngsters, because you're every time you look at your child, Richard, you you must be thinking, Jesus Christ, like you know, something yeah, that's got to be done here, you know. Absolutely, you are. Of course you are. And um, I mean, like Gaz has just had another little baby. Jamie's just had another little baby. And congrats and all course, around. Yeah, and it's amazing. And um, of course it is. Of course you are, because you're just looking at it. And then half of it is almost like, I wish I didn't know this stuff, but I'm glad I know this stuff. Because there's people around, people that don't know, don't look into the, the cult. And it is a global cult. And um, don't know where this is going. And that's why people can't see, people are baffled. Because I say to them, it's like having a paragraph out, out of a leather-bound book. You will not understand what the leather-bound book's about with the paragraph that you're reading. It will seem like utter nonsense. But you might know it's a bit weird and a bit nefarious. And then they start adding little pages. They give you another paragraph and another paragraph and a few more pages. But some people understand the book. I'm not saying I do. I probably understand a chapter, if that. But the more you understand about this leather-bound book the more you'll understand what's happening and you'll be able to do something about it because this is something that's being rolled out. That's how people are being able to point this out to three years, 20 years in advance because this is an agenda and um, an agenda that, that, that the Georgia Guidestones were even, I mean, they're not even that old. Someone was trying to warn people then. They must only yeah, the late 70s. Yeah. Um, and there's a reason why those Georgia Guidestones haven't been taken down, by the way. They, like they were put up in the late seventies, so they're still there. They're they're a warning, and um, for us, the five hundred million population warning, yeah, maintain the Earth's populace at five hundred million or less. That's right, yeah. It's such a mystery that bloody stone, isn't it? It's mad, but it, but it, yeah. we know we know that the likes of Bill Gates is a eugenicist. We know that he was born up in a, and I keep coming back to him, and he's very 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 low on the um, pyramid of control, very low. But you cannot tell me that the guy who's openly talking about there's too many people in poor countries, so they need to lower the population there, is the same guy who's telling you get your vaccines to keep yourself alive and jab your kids to keep your grandparents alive. That's right. I mean, what sort of madness, cognitive dissonance are you doing dancing in your head? Yeah, you have Prince Philip, obviously Charles, who will be king. You have Boris Johnson's old man, Stanley, Johnson himself, yes, they are eugenicists. They are population controllers. They would reduce the population of planet Earth given a chance. All of these people. Richard, before I forget to ask, mate, I've mentioned Iconic.com, but is there anywhere um, that, that you'd like to direct people to to see more of what you've been doing? Um, just now's the time to say it before we run out of time. Yes, literally, all on Iconic.com. And I'm a bit like you, Richard. I've been banned off of YouTube. I got banned off Twitter twice. I'm just about still on Instagram. Um, and that's it. A bit shoot. Bit shoot. You can find Glitch in the Code on each week. A WhatsApp is free on Iconic. Um, and Glitch in the Code goes on there as well. But Iconic's most of my stuff and all my films go on there at the moment. And that's why we built it. Because I think I said last time is that we needed to build an industry around the alternative media, not just us individually doing stuff. There needs to be a way to earn a modest living, which is the key to this. Yeah, a modest absolutely. living, making this content. So, 
so we're able to keep going because you do need to earn a living doing this stuff, but you only need to earn a modest living. And, and a way to earn a mo- to get by on a modest living is don't be greedy. It's really, really well, simple. Well, you're, you're right. You're right. Don't be greedy. But I would again reiterate to my listeners, if you are taking Richard's content from BitChute and elsewhere, please do go and subscribe to Iconic. You know, you've got to keep in mind that we do live in a world where it's easy these days to grab something that somebody has created. But a lot of time goes into it and a lot of effort goes into it. And content creators need to be compensated for their work. Uh, they do, because if if they can make a modest living from doing it, it enables them to continue to do it. And, uh, you know, it's what I say to my listeners. And uh, no, mate, we, 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 we need to say it a bit more. The, the great thing, of course, about Iconic, the great idea behind it is it goes back to the basics. You know, people need to have their own websites. Forget Facebook yep. and Twitter. They will shadow ban you. They will make it difficult for people to find you. But you know where you'll find Richard. You know that. Go to Iconic. Don't wait for a link to show up on Facebook. Uh, Facebook won't, won't allow you to see a link to that content. But you know that it's there. Iconic.com, DavidIke.com. You know where RichieAllen.co.uk is. So amen to that, mate. Uh, it's been brilliant catching up with you, Richard. It's been uh, too long, mate. You know you're welcome on this uh, platform anytime. Thanks for making your brilliant films and for the great work you're all doing there on Iconic.com. It's, uh, it's great to know you, pal. Well, you too. And thank you for having me. And I'm a big fan of your, your work. I was a big follower of your work before I even started doing any of this stuff. So the stuff, the, late, the, the, the foundations that you laid down and people like David and Dean Henderson is one of my favourite authors and the people, the, the Max Egans of the world, the guys that, that really kind of pushed the door open and stood in there doing this after this. It must be so much more frustrating for you guys, knowing this was coming 15 to 20 years ago um, and seeing it all unfold and uh, around us and uh, ever quick in pace. So I, I, without you guys, people like me who wouldn't know any of this stuff either, and we wouldn't be able to pass it on to people younger than us. So it, it it's reciprocal. You're genuinely modest. I know you are, but you're too modest. See, what you bring is uh, incredible talents around production. I think you and I have had this conversation, so we won't do it again because the programme is over anyway. But but by bringing mainstream production values to the independent media, what you're doing, Richard, is just incredible, mate. It really is. And uh, I can't speak highly enough of that because that's the game changer. When you get independent content creators, allowing making a platform for the researchers like Dolores Cahill and Bacti and all of these people. And when you make those production values as good as the BBC and you, you are doing that, it's a game changer. Richard, all the best for now, pal. Thanks for coming back on. Thank you. Take care, mate. And boy, for now, that's uh, Richard Willett, a brilliant filmmaker and uh, hugely involved in Iconic.com, I-C-K-O-N-I-C.com. Check out Glitching the Code, which is a great programme. Richard features really interesting people, game-changing people. And as I said, production value is fantastic off the charts. Thanks again to, uh, to Richard. And thanks to Julia Hoff, the social care worker who came on the programme in the first hour. What a wonderful lady uh, Julie is. We'll definitely stay in touch uh, with her. There's no doubt about that. I'm back with you tomorrow. The Last American Vagabond is on the programme, amongst other guests. Don't miss him. That's tomorrow, Thursday, at 5pm UK time. I've been Richie Allen, your BBG. Thanks for spending some of your Wednesday with me. Until next time, bye for now. Bye now. Bye now.